We're fixing to have a word of prayer. We're not going to have music at this time. Let me introduce to you Paul Wooster. Paul was a student at OU, and when he came through, we knew that this was an unusual student. Two and a half years ago, he went to Chico, California to start a collegiate ministry. He's had a phenomenal ministry out there, and we thought it'd be good for you to hear from some people what they did in college and what they're doing right out of college. We're going to have a word of prayer and then turn it over to Paul. I believe you all have uh, notes. I hope you'll take notes during this time. Let's have a word of prayer and we're going to get going. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the afternoon we've had for the day. And I pray that you would guide us during this time. I pray you'd fill Paul with your spirit and give us the ability to really hear what you'd have to say to us. Because we prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Max. This is an honor. This is so exciting. Max is one of my heroes. And uh, I got a little Christmas present with the iPad, so it looks like a Bible. So kind of <laughs> stoked about that, you know. But So I'm just so honored to be able to share and... Um, Really, it's just God is working, and so I want to share a testimony. And that your handout doesn't look like it's a testimony, but these are the things that God has taught me about sharing Christ and living on mission. And so tonight's message is engaged, living on mission every day. I want to give you guys a little picture of what my life is like right now. I just had a son uh, six months ago, and uh, yeah, his name's Owen, which means young warrior. So you guys just check out a little video of him. He's Pretty cute, I think. share, uh, I want to really, there's two things I want to do tonight. Uh, one is encourage you, because if God can use a guy like me, He can definitely use you guys. And the second thing I want to challenge you, um, there's some things that I'm going to talk about that have really challenged me. I might, you might feel like I'm getting up in your grill a little bit. No, I, I am, so I just want to really encourage you and challenge you tonight. So let me just pray one more time. Father, you're so good, and I pray that each person in this room would come away with a deeper desire to um, love the lost and to reach people and make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point on your handout, we got some fill in the blanks. So first point is develop your vision and heart. Develop your vision and heart. If you want to be someone that engages God's mission, you need to develop intentionally develop your vision and heart. And it all started for me was I grew up in a Christian home. I was a follower of Christ when I came to college, but when I, my freshman year, I was really wavering which way I was going to go. Was I going to go half-hearted for Christ, or was I going to go all out? 
I went to Life Impact my freshman winter. The speaker there, his name was Nick Ripkin. He was talking about the persecuted church. And he was talking about people that died for their faith and were suffering and dying and put in prison. And he said this quote here. He says, Never give up in freedom what others wouldn't in persecution. That just hit me. God did a work in my life. That's when I was called. I remember standing in front of a bunch of my peers at the BSU. I went to the OU. I just remember weeping, just saying, guys, God is calling me. I don't know what this means, but I I need to be doing ministry. I need to live my life in a way that just reaches others. I'm I'm praying for you guys that I really hope that this conference is that breakthrough moment for you. My brother, I have a twin brother, and he looks just like me. He got... He got convicted at the same time. And we started these evangelistic Bible studies. We didn't know what we were doing yet because Max hadn't yet got a hold of us. And so we just went up and down our halls. It's a four-story dorm hall. And we started what we called The Spot, where we bribed them to come with free pizza, video clips of Lord of the Rings, and we knocked on every single door of our four-story dorm every week for the whole spring semester. And we're just like, all right, you're coming. You're coming to the spot. Come on, man. Come on. And uh, we didn't know any better. We didn't really know much about discipleship. But God started using us. We had a group of 15 to 20 freshman guys, and we were freshmen. And we started leading some of them to Christ. And we started, before I got to college, I had some addictions. And through a series of things, Jesus freed me from those. But now I have a new addiction, and that's just seeing people come to know Christ. That's a little bit of my story. I want to encourage you guys, the next point is, accept that the Great Commission is my mission. Accept that the Great Commission is my mission. Okay, so now everyone in here, let's say it. The Great Commission is my mission. Let's try it again. The Great Commission is my mission. One more time. The Great Commission is my mission. And this is Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And I love this. This is Jesus' last command. He's the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's saying, Okay, you know, you heard the message, I trained you, now go and make disciples. And just in case this isn't good enough for you, it, it's happened uh, four other times. In John, Luke, Mark, and Acts, there's a version of the Great Commission. And um, I love John 20, 21. It says, as the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. Jesus is saying, just the way Jesus went from heaven to earth to, on this, this mission from God, He's sending each one of us to, into our world to uh, change, change lives. And just one thing on Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He starts it, because you've heard, some of you guys have heard messages on this, so I'm not going to give you a whole message. But one point that I think is really encouraging for me, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And he's the king. And he's, he's actually, he's not asking. He's not suggesting. He's commanding you to go and make disciples. And a lot of us, He's saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. A lot of us think we have to earn the right to share the gospel with others. Jesus died on the cross so you could earn the right so you could share the gospel. And so that's just one, one little nugget from that verse. And I want to read to you guys a little poem. A lot of people think that evangelism is a gift. And it is a gift. 
It's not a question of gifting whether you witness. The gift of evangelist is a whole other different topic. Whether or not you share your faith is not a question of gifting. It's, it's whether you have the gift of obedience. Do you have the gift of obedience? Are you going to be obedient to share your faith? The, the Great Commission is for you. Here's a little poem that I discovered. It's a little story about four people named Everybody, Somebody, Anybody, and Nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. <laughs> okay, so we're going to break that down and do some verse by verse. No, we're not going to do that. Um, but the point there, if the Great Commission is our mission, then it becomes no one's mission. But once the Great Commission becomes your mission, it's your job to go and make disciples of all nations. That's when you start getting serious about it. And so I titled this talk, Engage. And engage is a word that means to do something, to enter into a contest or battle, to participate, to carry on an enterprise. And when I think of this word engage, I think about getting in the game. And I remember when I was in kindergarten, I played on the soccer team, or I don't really remember, I've seen the videos. I was um, on the soccer team, and... I was picking my belly button like half the game or or I was sitting down playing picking counting grass or and so many the majority of kindergartners in on a soccer game are not focused on the ball they're not focused on the goal and I think in the body of Christ a lot of us are picking our spiritual belly buttons <laughs> and a lot of us are focusing on things that are just not the most important thing. The most important thing is going to the nations to share the gospel. So we need to focus on the ball, focus on the game. The next thing is find people. And Jesus in Matthew 4.19, he was calling. This is the first thing Jesus said when he was calling his disciples. He said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. So if you're a follower of Christ, that's your identity. You are a fisher of men. Jesus is making you into that person. Just practically, if, Jesus, if you've been changed by the gospel, if you've been changed by Jesus, you're going to want to talk about it. When Christy and I got engaged, Christy would not, me and Christy, we would not shut up about our engagement story. She so was walking around like this. Um, my, my brother-in-law, when he got a new puppy, we Skyped with him, and he was just talking about his puppy the whole time. When you have a hot date, guys... All week, all your friends, that's all they're hearing about that hot day. A good movie, even like a good meal, you're, you're going to talk about things that you like or mean something to you. So why is it that we get so weird when it's about talking about Christ? And Acts 4.20 is the verse that I think is really powerful in Acts. The early church, they said, For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. If Jesus is the most important thing in your life, It should be a pretty natural thing to talk about what he's doing and what he's done in your life. This is kind of a picture of what God's done on our campus. We've been able to see just this semester through gospel appointments, which I'll explain a little more about that later, and other methods. We've seen 48 students pray to receive Jesus on our campus. And so many students are just taking the gospel and saying, Oh, this is, this is changing my life. Like, I want to do this and share this with others. And I'll give you one story of a guy. Here's a video of one student who took the gospel and just spread it. And Paul, he was working the table on campus. So, 
Yeah, so that's one example. And we've had several other guys that take the gospel, they accept it, and they go and they lead their girlfriends to Christ. Or they read it over. We just use a little Bible study sheet. And they lead, um, they read it over with their parents. And then we had one guy lead his, his girlfriend to Christ in the hot tub. I, I wouldn't recommend that necessarily. <laughs> Uh, it's just crazy stuff happens when when you create a culture and when you are the kind of person that's just bold with the gospel, you model that for the people that you lead to Christ. Oh, we just share that with people. It's it's not weird. It's it's okay to actually just tell people about Jesus and to share the gospel. And ministry evangelism, especially the E word, people picture this big, you know, the guy that comes on your campus with the bullhorn and the signs about hell and he's like sweating and yelling and getting mad. That's what people picture when they picture evangelism. But that's not. Um, I love this quote. Well, we already passed it. It says, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And I love that. But the next, the next point that God really did a huge work in my life is He woke me up to the serious implications of eternity. So have you ever thought about how long eternity will be? Have you ever just sat down and thought about how long forever is going to be? So I want you guys to take... This is going to be a little weird, so, but just take five seconds, and I want you to think about how long forever is going to be. Okay, so that, you know, that five seconds felt like eternity. It's a little awkward, but, um, <laughs> but I, I think it's really important for us to think about that forever is forever, and um, heaven, and heaven is heaven, and hell is hell. I get scared just thinking about being in heaven for, for all of eternity. To be honest, it's just that concept of forever is scary. But when you think about someone that, if, if those that have not accepted Jesus are going to spend forever separated from God in hell, that's not okay. That's not okay. And God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. So we need to wake up to that. James 4.14, 4, it says, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. An illustration, go outside tonight, breathe once, and you see the mist that comes out. That's how long your life is compared to eternity. Your, your life is just a mist. And so that's what these verses... And this verse, it's a good one, so I'll let you read it on your own. It's on your handout. But I heard this illustration one time, and it's, your life is like one little dot. If we just put, took a Sharpie and put it on here... Uh, the Glenn people might be mad, but and then we we just take a line and we send it out all the way around the world as many times as you want, as many just wrap it around hundred times. Um, your life is like that dot compared to that line. The length of your life, your your life is the dot and eternity is the line. 
And what you do in this life matters for the line. The investment you make, the people you bring with you, is what's going to matter. So are you, I want to ask you guys a question, are you living for the dot, or are you living for the line? And when God started putting that on my heart, um, I have never been able to see the war life the same way and one one story a way this happened we were sitting around a campfire singing some chris tomlin uh, hillsong wasn't as big back then but we were singing chris tomlin and worshiping campfire there and i looked down at that campfire and again i just had that broken moment where i realized that my friends that don't know christ are going to be spending eternity separated from god in flames like that and i just wept it was kind of weird because all my friends were around singing glory you know Holy is the Lord, or whatever. And I was just weeping. I want to just, I think that's God's heart, is Jesus wept for the lost. In, um, in Luke 9, 41, um, Jesus looked over the city, and he knew the people were going to reject him. And he just saw them, and he says, as when he drew near the city, he wept over it. So have you ever, it's not something you force or try to do, but have you ever, do you care about those that are separated from God? You may, you may not be a very emotional guy, but it's not about all the tears. And, but it's about, do you care about the lost? Have you ever wept for the lost? And so here, here's something I, want, I hope to communicate to you guys. This is what the Bible says about those who don't have a relationship with Christ. And this is some heavy stuff. They're dead in their sins. They're, they follow Satan. They, it says in that verse that Satan is their master. Um, they're blinded, spiritually blinded. They're slaves to sin. You think about, your, think about your friends. They'll be separated from God forever in hell. And here's a few things about hell. Hell is real. The way I, I know hell is real is because Jesus said hell is real. And so that's good enough for me. I don't need a bunch of books. Uh, uh, Jesus said hell is real, so that's good enough for me. This verse, it says, They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Only a couple times in my life have I seen someone in such pain that their teeth is gnashing. And it's not, it's not fun. Um, hell is a place of loneliness and pain. The worst punishment on our planet is solitary confinement. And in hell forever, people that don't know God are going to be shut out. It says in this verse, they will be shut out from the presence of God. They will be tormented day and night. And then the last thing, which is the worst, is hell is forever. And where the worm never dies and the fire is not quenched. And so when I think, it's, it's, I don't like thinking about these things. This is not fun. But it's reality and it's, it's a, it motivates me. Jude 1.22 says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. The truth is God doesn't want anyone go to go to hell. God loves everyone, and He provided His way through, through Jesus Christ, Jesus' death on the cross, for, in our place, for our sins. And tonight, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can have that, and it's a free gift just for you to take. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God wants everyone to be saved. I came across this quote by an atheist, a famous criminal. Someone was sharing the gospel before his execution, and he said this, Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If I believe that, I would willingly crawl across England over broken glass to tell men it was true. And so I want to ask us the question, do we really believe what we say we believe? Do we really believe that this message of Jesus is the thing that's going to take people to heaven and give them eternal life, give them the purpose, change them from the inside out, regenerate their hearts. Do we really believe that? So I also came across this video. He's a famous comedian, and he's also a well-known atheist, but he said 
something very similar. So let's check that out. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I'm Hope Michelle, and at the end of the show, as I mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and we uh, stage a autograph, shake hands, and so on. So there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position after I was old on big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, pitched the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand. He would give those away. And the joke book and the if you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. I'm <laughs> the show from the given. He wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show that I liked, and I wanted to be very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about Honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason for it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it was in the New Testament, but I also thought it was the Psalms in the New Testament, right? But, uh, Psalms, just part of the New Testament. A little book about this big. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm saying I'm not crazy. <laughs> and he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people should proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believe, you know, shut up about that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle it. This is more important. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, I've thought of it conceptually. 
This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me. Uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then, like, five phone numbers for him. <laughs> now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man reading that book. That's all I wanted to say. Man, so that's that's so good. And so the next point is reject excuses and lies about sharing Jesus. And I'm going to go through these pretty fast. Uh, the first one that really gets me, I really struggle with, is the fear of rejection. And this was because my God, I was a Christian, but the primary, it was an idol in my life, was being cool. All my life it was about being the cool guy, looking good feeling good, having the goods. It was all about just being that guy, that cool guy. And I didn't want to do it. But these verses have really helped me. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, it says, We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And there was a certain point in my life where something shifted. Jesus became more important than being cool. You need to get to that place in your life that, that following Jesus, making disciples, is more important than being, not being socially awkward. Because as a, a guy, I love, to, I love his talk, he said, awkward conversations change lives. Sometimes, Brian Zinegay, I love that guy. And so this next one, fear of rejection. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are you when men hate you and exclude you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. So when you're rejected for your faith, what are the two things that can happen according to these verses? The first one is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of glory and of God will rest on you. So do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you want, uh, and the next thing is blessed. Uh, you'll get blessed in heaven. You'll get rewards in heaven. So you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, yeah? Do you want to get blessings in heaven? Then make sure that you share the gospel enough to get rejected for your faith. Now, I'm not talking about being obnoxious about the guy with the bullhorn. I'm just talking about being bold in a loving way like that, was, that guy was talking about. The next thing is pretty similar. It's the fear of losing a friend. And I want to tell you guys, that should be the reason that you do share with them. If you're afraid of losing that friend, would you rather have a friend for one minute or your whole lifetime? And would you rather have a friend now or for all of eternity? A real friend tells a friend about Jesus. This is a long poem, so i got a lot of poems in this talk. So, My friend, I stand in judgment now and feel that you're to blame somehow. While on this earth, I walked with you day by day. And never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell the story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to Him. Uh, though you, we lived here together here on earth, you never told me of your second birth. 
And now I stay this day condemned because you failed to mention them. You taught me many things that's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But now I learned that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you in joy and strife. Yet coming to this dreadful end, I see you really weren't my friend. So a real friend tells a friend about Jesus. They've already heard it. I've heard this is a common one. We're in America, whatever. The average person, this is encouraging to me, needs to hear the gospel seven times before they commit their lives to Christ. So yours might be the first, the seventh. I've learned that it's not your job to figure out whether they've heard it or not. It's your job to share and find out if they've heard it or not. And the next one is, I don't know how. And what I'd say to that is, then learn how. Something as important as sharing the gospel is something that you should take some time to learn. There's a lot of good books and resources. My email's at the bottom. If you email me, I'll send you more resources than you want. You don't learn how to share your faith by reading a book about sharing your faith. Same thing, like, I think about swimming. If you try to learn about swimming by reading a book about swimming, that's just not what you do. You have to jump in. Maybe with your floaties on and a trainer and you learn how to swim. But it's the same thing. You learn to witness by practicing witnessing. So ask your staff, ask your your leaders, and they'll... I know the staff is dying for you to ask them, hey, I want to learn how to share my faith. That's that's what we're here for. We want to train you guys how to do this. So that's that's a lame excuse. The next one is, I'm just lazy. (laughs) I'm just lazy. I like to play video games. I like to get fat on the couch and, you know, I'm a lazy boy. Um, what do you think Jesus would say on the day of judgment to that? I'm just lazy. Um, this verse, Proverbs 10, 5, it says, He who gathers crops in the summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. This, this one is, oh, this is a good verse. James four seventeen. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. One of the greatest sins we can commit as a Christian is the sin of silence. Imagine if you had the, the cure to cancer and you just kept your, had your own little personal relationship with your cure to cancer and you just kept your cure to cancer to yourself. Like, what? That's just, that's just wrong. A Christian that, that doesn't share his faith is telling the world, you can go to hell. I'm just going to wait until people ask. I don't know, I'm not, maybe I'm not like the nicest guy in the world, but that doesn't happen to me that often. It should happen, because Peter, in First Peter it says, you should ha- be ready to give an answer. But we've also been called to go and make disciples. Romans 10, 14, it says, How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. St. Francis of Assisi said this quote that people love, when you start talking about evangelism, they love this quote. It says, share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, everyone loves that because it kind of gets them off the hook. They kind of have to just, I'm just going to live my life, you know. It's kind of like saying, feed the poor, but if necessary, use food. It just doesn't work. It's just not, it's just... Not the way to go. So I'd rather take God's word for it. Francis of Assisi is a great guy. We were talking about him, his biography. But I once heard about a businessman. He was going on the that quote method, and he wanted to be the best Christian businessman in the workplace. And he's like, I'm just going to be kind. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to show everyone my faith. But I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to tell anyone. And one day, a coworker came up, and he's like, guess what, John? I just accepted Jesus. And the businessman looked at me and was like, what? Oh, awesome. I've been praying for you for like, for like five years. And, and the, the, guy, the guy, the new believer, looked at him like, 
Really? You are the reason that I didn't accept Christ. You are the reason that I put off accepting Christ because you led such a good life that I didn't think I needed Jesus in my life. It's really important to be bold about our faith, to let people know where we stand, because then your actions do matter. And that is a huge part of it. And the last one is, it won't really make any difference. Who are you to say that? You never know what difference it will make until you try. You know, I like this, you know if you don't try, it won't make a difference. This a story for me. I'll give this one. This one be quick. My brother and I, we, we sometimes do this door-to-door survey track thing when we were in college, and we were a little wild. And, but we saw a lot of people come to faith, and it really helped build our boldness. But one day, it was a random day. We had a couple hours before our Bible study. I was like, David, let's go witnessing. And he's like, oh, man, oh, I don't want to. I was like, I don't really want to be there, but let's do it. And so he went and got some other guys on the hall that did it with us sometimes. And I was in my room alone, and I was all of a sudden... I think it was Satan just feeding me these doubts. He's saying, like, oh, just going up and talking to random strangers, that's just not very effective. Or this is so totally not strategic, like totally random. And I just remember having all these thoughts. But then I just prayed, God, this might be true. It might not be strategic. But I want you to show me if this is a legit way to share your faith. So we went out and witnessed. And after that night, we had two people pray to receive Jesus, That just out doing random evangelism. And I met one guy named Travis Harmon. I met him. He was already a believer. But we set up a meeting, and I started discipling him. And I met with that guy for two years. And um, I poured, he's the guy that I just poured my life into. And I taught him everything I know and everything I didn't know. And it was just this relationship that God formed. And God started to put on my heart India. I started praying for India, and Christy and I even thought about going to India. Through Travis, Travis is just getting back from a two-year journeyman trip in India. And so I think God answered that prayer. Is it worth your effort? Even if it's just a random encounter, don't limit God by random encounters, anything. My motto in evangelism is that something is better than nothing. And the best kind of evangelism, and you talk about all the methods, the best kind is the kind that you do. God's give us the method of just sharing the gospel, so just do it. Nike evangelism is what I tell people. Just do it. And then I like this verse. Sow your seeds in the morning, and in the evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. And now you can start living on mission now. And that's the important thing I want to encourage you. You go to this conference, as soon as you get back, start. John 1 41 through 42, it says, The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. So I'm going to blast through this. Start now. That's kind of redundant, but okay. Start with your friends was to find his brother Simon. So the first thing he did was go to his brother. Who do you want to see in heaven most? Your friends. And we've seen kind of a, a movement on our campus of friends bringing friends. A Catholic guy that I got to sit down with a gospel appointment. I led him to Christ. And he had the sheet that we went over. And he's like, I'm going to go share this with my Catholic small group. And I'm like, all right, go for it, man. And it's just, you go to your friends first. And so that's one principle. And then the next one is obvious. Start talking. Start sharing the gospel. And it says, and he told him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. So we actually need to talk. And a tool, most liberating tool that I've found on our campus, it's called Gospel Appointments. It's really simple. 
you're at a, a large group meeting or something, and I'll train you guys to do this if you come to my workshop. But if not, I have a bunch of handouts that I'll give you if you just come up to me and bug me, and I'll give you one. That's really, I want you guys to all be equipped to do that. We've seen, like this semester, we've seen 48 students pray to receive Christ through mainly just this one-on-one gospel appointments. So instead of hearing from me, I want you guys to hear from some of our students that each, that almost every student in our leadership team has led someone to Jesus this semester. And so through just this simple tool of gospel appointments. So I want you guys to hear from them what it's about a little bit. have been really helpful for me because they are easy to set um, I just ask a person if they want to hang out get some coffee sometime setting up a gospel appointment is totally natural because I usually say something like I'm so glad you're able to come I was wondering if you want to get coffee sometime and talk more about what Christian Challenge believes or something like further explain this Bible study talk about the gospel something like that and it's really just natural to talk about once we're actually at the meeting um, I usually talk about their religious background and their experiences at church, and those conversations just lend really easily to going into talking about the gospel, and I just read with them over the equipment papers that I bring to the meeting, and it really helps because even if I'm nervous or flustered, I can just refer back to the papers and just get all the way through, and so therefore I'm just making it up on the top of my head, <laughs> feel pressured to have to do it at a meeting, um, it lets them say what they're thinking, and I can answer any questions that they may have, and it's just really easy to do while they're there at the meeting. Um, I also like also appointments because it's really easy to get to know them. Um, I can I get to hear about their background, and I get to hear um, about their experiences with church, and it helps me better understand where they're coming from. iPhone video. You get to sit down with somebody one-on-one over coffee or lunch, whatever it is, by setting up an appointment, and you just get to lay out the gospel for them in a simple way of understanding it, and you really just, um, I think, show that it's an important thing by setting up an appointment and just sitting down with them, Um, and I think that that really speaks a lot to them, that you're willing to take the time to sit down with them alone and go over this very important concept. And, um, you know, I've seen so many people come to commit their lives to Christ because of gospel appointments. When I first started, I was really nervous about it, and I just didn't think that it was going to work very well. (laughs) And um, I've seen probably 98% of the time somebody commit their life to Christ because of the fact that you just spent time to sit down with them and go over it. Gospel appointments have really helped me to gain confidence in sharing my faith this semester. I felt much more confident about studying at meetings and following through with them because I was given a set outline of what to talk about while still being able to take it and make it my own. This helped me because I didn't have to worry about what I was going to say or how I was going to explain the gospel because it was clearly spelled out for me and for them to see. It also really gave me an opportunity to trust God and to rely on Him to speak through me to each unique and special girl that I got the chance to meet with this semester. I'm so excited about the opportunity I've been given to share God and His love with so many girls this semester. And I'm looking forward to continuing to have gospel appointments and build relationships with the girls on my campus.
really a low-pressure environment to share the gospel because I've already like told them we're going to be talking about something along those lines, you know. It would be more weird not to bring it up than to bring it up. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> it's just really natural um, to share the gospel. Um, you've already said yes to meeting with you, and so they're obviously open to uh, talking about it. But most recent gospel moment I had was with Ryan, and he he kept saying how everywhere else he had been, you know, churches and things, he just they never really went over serious stuff. He just kept saying like, "This is what I wanted. Like, I want people to share the stuff that is hard with me and to be just upfront." And um, so that's something that gospel points are there. They're a big issue. Um, they they cover things that are hard, you know, with salvation. And um, so just getting to sit down with them and lay it out and be straightforward about it was just it spoke majorly to him. And so which is really cool to see and encouraging to see somebody who um, was so thankful for somebody just coming to him and being straightforward and laying out the gospel in very understandable way. And uh, that was really encouraging for that meeting and for future meetings, just knowing like that's what people want most of the time is somebody just to be serious and straightforward with them. This semester, I'm one of the guys I set up a gospel appointment with. Um, the meeting went really well. He was like asking questions after every paragraph we went over. Um, he was uh, responding. He wasn't uh, I mean, he didn't want to talk to me at all the whole time. He was really engaged in what was going on. And he even at one point said, like, wow, I didn't understand that we were going over, um, like, the bridge illustration where there's a really big gap and how our good works don't, you know, can't ever cover that gap of degree by sin. And he said, well, I didn't understand that. I always thought it was more of a karma thing where, like, I do something good and it covers up for something that I did bad, and then as long as it equaled out or I did more good than bad, I think I would go to heaven. Um, and so he really was understanding the concepts, and he said, like, he understood that better now and how that works. Um, and then to my shock, at the end, um, when I asked him if he wanted to make that commitment to put his life to Christ, he said, no, he wasn't ready yet. <laughs> and I was just really surprised because he had... I just got so well the whole appointment. Um, <laughs> but uh, since then, he's still been coming to meetings and stuff, and I still see him on campus and say hi and talk to him. And it was, it's been really cool because that's kind of how our friendship started, was with a gospel appointment. It wasn't something that I had to leave. I didn't need to be his friend for a really long time before I could, like, share that with him. Um, it was more like, like relational evangelism, but where the evangelism was right after that, <laughs> um, which is, a, I think, a really good way to do it so that you don't end up just having a friendship with no evangelism. <laughs> um, so that works. That has worked out really well, even though the, he still hasn't like, made that decision. For example, I met this girl named Carla, and she'd been coming around to our last day that we were doing in the dorms. And I set up a gospel appointment with her after the Bible study and just simply said, I'd love to talk to you more about what we talked about tonight and tell you what Christian challenge will be if you want to talk to me sometime. 
And she said, yeah, and we met for a coffee that week, and I talked to her about her religious background and asked her questions like what were her experiences in church, and through that I was really able to set up a relationship with her from the very beginning, so she felt comfortable that I was going to explain the gospel to her right after that. And so I was able to talk to her, and we went through the gospel appointment sheet, and she was able to ask any questions that she had, and um, at the end of it, she accepted Christ, and it was really exciting, and we got to celebrate together right then, and she accepted Christ right in the middle of the BMU coffee shop, um, and it was a really exciting time for her, and I've also had experiences like that with three other girls this semester, and they all come to Christ in that same coffee shop, and it's just been really exciting <laughs> to see their lives change, and it all started with a gospel point. <laughs> And those aren't, those aren't actors. Those are real students that have led people to Christ. And so they can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. And if they can do it, you can do it. So the last, I'll give you the last few points because it's time for dinner. Start investing and inviting. One thought on that is people like to be invited to this to stuff. People actually might be more offended if you don't invite them to challenge. That was just an interesting thought I had. And the last one is never give up. Never give up. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight says, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So it's never a waste of time to share your faith. It always matters. And you are going to see people in heaven someday when you share the gospel with them. And you are just bold and loving in that. In Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Father, thank you so much for these students that have a heart and a hunger to be used by you. And I pray that each person in this room in the next year would have the privilege and the joy of getting to lead someone to you. And that's something only you can do, but I'm going to ask for it. So I pray that each of us would come out with a vision and uh, get excited about that. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.